scripture reading from today um, continues on this theme of God seeing his people through no matter what inconveniences or in this case threats come before his people. Reading from Nehemiah chapter 6. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Gisham the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Gisham sent to me, saying, Come let us meet together at Hakafirim in the land of in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should why should the messengers excuse me, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Gisham also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, that that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have said have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from their work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabal, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And that man such as, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent them, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had come accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in these days, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shekinah. I am terrible with these. Excuse me, the son of Arah, and his son Jehonanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This is the word of God. 
We continue in our sermon series here in the book of Nehemiah. So last week, we saw some internal issues of financial justice and righteousness that were threatening the stop, to stop the work of building the wall around Jerusalem. And this week for Nehemiah, the leader and governor of Israel, the problems keep on coming. This time from the familiar outside haters, Tobiah and Sanballat, we met back in chapter 4. The wall is basically complete, and all that's left to do is put the doors on the door jams or the doorways. And since haters are going to hate, as some people say, Tobiah and Sanballat give one more final push to keep the wall unfinished. This time by trying to bring Nehemiah down. And they try to do that by getting him to meet them out in the desert somewhere. And then they start an ugly rumor that Nehemiah wants to be his own king. And then they try to get Nehemiah uh, to be a religious hypocrite and break God's law and run into the temple. And all in all, their attempts fail and the wall is completed. Nehemiah's struggle against the attacks of his enemies, the the courage and cunningness, if you will, to to not be tricked. And and Nehemiah's utter dependence on God is something we should dig into and learn from. Why? Because you and I must, too, must traverse. We must make our way through and stand in a world of hatred, of haters, of, of temptations, and just plain brokenness. With that in mind, this passage teaches us and warns us that first enemies of the gospel will seek to lure us away. And secondly, teaches us that we are called to stay in the work of God's kingdom. And finally, that God is faithful to complete what he has started. Number one, the enemy will lure us away. Secondly, we are called to stay in the work of the kingdom. And finally, God will complete what he has started. Our lives and God's work in them and on them, like the wall building in Nehemiah, can be a real grind. The work of the gospel, of God's redeeming redeeming of us for his glory and our good, like this giant wall is is obnoxiously and unapologetically counter-world amazing and gracious. And so the gospel, it kind of forces its way into our world and lives, and, and it begs for confrontation and irritation and, of course, enemies. Like Tobiah and Sanballat here, who, who recognize that this wall will spell the end to their self-interest, controlling, power-driven ambitions. And seeing that they have failed thus far to create Um, They tried before to create a mob uprising and panic among the people. They instead focus on Nehemiah and try to lure the leader away from God's work, whether to a faraway neutral spot in in a place called the Plain of Ono to meet with them in verse 2, or in verse 10 through the word of a false prophet hired by them to get Nehemiah to run into the holy temple to save himself from being assassinated. Now, we are not sure. Tobiah and Sanballat were luring him to Ono to kill him. Or if the theological mistake of running in the temple would have been political suicide for Nehemiah. But they were doing whatever it took to get him away from God's people. 
to get him outside of God's truth and will and into a dark, forbidden place, away from the ministry work of God's kingdom going on, not only through him as a leader, but to him as a believer. They wanted to lure Nehemiah away from the vows and commitments he made and away from relationship with God's people. And the way they sought to lure him to sin and walk outside of God's will for him was to use his broken fears. Take it from me, a very amateur fisherman. Most times when I go fishing, Kelly expects me to come home with nothing. And when I catch a fish, she's like, you did? Yeah, I've been gone for four or five hours. I caught something. What did you catch? Oh, we threw it back. In other words, I didn't catch nothing. <laughs> but take it from me, an amateur fisherman. I've been fishing for a long time in my life. Bait, a lure, is only as good to hook or trap as the hunger and desperation of the fish the lure is shaking in front of. If the fish are dormant, filled up already, content and not hungry, the lure will not work no matter how amazing it is. When the fourth attempt to lure Nehemiah to the plain of Ono failed, on the fifth attempt, the Bible says this in verse 5 of chapter 6. In the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time, sent the servant to me with an, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and, and Gishim also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I said, sent to him saying, no such, such things as you say, have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And then when they send the false prophet to to lure lure him into the temple, look at what happens. And then I want you to pay close attention to Nehemiah's diagnosis in verse 13. Look with me at verse 10. Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehabel, uh, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God. Within the temple, let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go. And I understood and saw that the that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then look at the way this chapter ends, beginning at verse 18. For many in Judah, this is after the temple, I mean, after the wall has been built, for many in Judah were bound by oath to Tobiah, because he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ar, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Mishalem, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. 
Hope you see a common thread here. They were trying to lure Nehemiah through his fears. Fear that the building, that building the wall would put them at odds with the king. Fear of death. Fear that they would have to go to war with the Samaritans. And truth be told, from a leadership standpoint, among Nehemiah's greatest fears and fragile points had to be the king's distrust. The kings at this time were very wary of uprising. And, and Sanballat sends an open letter, the Bible says. In other words, he Facebooked the rumors of an uprising to Nehemiah. Nehemiah on an open Facebook, right? And trust me, this Tobiah has a lot. Sanballat have a lot of friends. Back then, if you had a letter, you would put a seal on it so that nobody would open it. This time, he just had it all blurted out on a piece of paper wide open. It's told that you know folk going to read it. Hey, this one of these secret letters with a lot of juice in it. Please give it to Nehemiah, but don't look. The first thing I'm going to do is look. And so this is like he Facebooked it. So here's the question. What do you fear? What are you and I afraid of not happening and despair about? What are we living with and discontent and unsettled about? What, what, what are we just waiting for, for the other shoe to drop in? What forces or people or state are you afraid of? Are you afraid of failure or loneliness or hardship, not having enough money or influence, influence that you won't be liked or accepted? Are you afraid of being hungry or not full or happy or, 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 or missing out on happiness that you think should be yours? Or are you afraid of not having friends or losing the one you do have? Those fears have created and come from discontent, hunger in you and me, whatever they may be, and they will, have, will and have and may lure us away from the gospel. To be and go with who we shouldn't, to do and believe what we shouldn't, to disobey and justly justify sinful behavior before God that we shouldn't, to to, to drop or leave or, or start relationships that we shouldn't. The, the, the way this broken world and our sin-damaged hearts make us desperate and dangerously empty and alone and vulnerable will lure us to, as Nehemiah puts it, a place of harm. To live in the cold, in shadows of, of, of broken and unsure relationship with God and each other. Our fears can be the place that we hurt a fruitful relationship with God and each other in this world. Know your fears. And know that the fears are not, are not based on ultimate truth. And like Tobiah and Sanballat do here to Nehemiah, fear is like this composite, uh, th this, this big-headed caricature and fabrication of half and quarter-piece truths when used by your enemy. Someone gave me an, an acronym for fear. I think this, this is the one they use. False evidence appearing real. Or false ex experiences appearing real. Now, you're not hearing me say that sin is not real and the pain you experience is not real or that death is not real or the suffering you are guaranteed to experience is not real. But a life motivated by fear is an unreal way to live the gospel. 
And God is calling us, like Nehemiah, to act in the face of our enemies, to act and live out not in fear, but faith, right? Okay, I love these anachronisms. Anachronistically defined, anachronistically, nice word, defined by the following. This is like vacation Bible school. Faith, right? A fantastic adventure in trusting him. Find assurance in trusting him. And so so here you go, right? Fear ain't in this house. Okay, enough. We got too many cynics in this place, right? You're thinking, man, that's enough to provide free delay with all the corn they need for a year of manufacturing. But here's the point. Instead of running from God's work in fear and running to sinful, ungodly places out of fear, Nehemiah did what God called him to be and do, to stay in the work regardless. Look at verse 1 through 4 with me. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, Come and, and let us meet together at Hekephorim in the in plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them saying, I am, not, I, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in that way. And I answered them in the same manner. And then look at verse 9, if you will. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, their hands will drop from the work, and it will, be, and it will not be done. Now, O oh God, strengthen, strengthen my hands. And then dropping down to verse 11. But I said, should should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I don't know whether it's clear to you, as as it is to me as I read this, but Nehemiah, along with God's people, were called to stay in the kingdom work of God's already and not yet kingdom. Nehemiah! According to verse 1 and 3, he he couldn't leave the work of the wall to follow his fears and the luring of those who wanted him to stop because so much had already been done. There was already a foundation of work. As a matter of fact, the wall was done, the Bible tells us. There was only the doors to be put in place. God's kingdom had already endured so much. God's people historically in this wall had been brought through so much. So much faithful work had been started, laid down and done, that he could not help but but say, and stay, as he put it, in such a great work. You know why I won't give up on Clemson? Even after every year we lose games, we shouldn't, some miserably, like I personally experienced after driving 12 hours with my friend to Orange Bowl, have West Virginia, who we were favored to beat, lay 70 points on us. Nice trip back, too. That trip, 
along with every desperately loyal Clemson fan, was driven by the last time we were in the Orange Bowl in January 1982. And somehow, the mystic, right, that mystic hope, the, the tradition, the groundwork of something that already happened that many were not even alive to see, make them paint their faces orange and put paws on their cars and believe that they can and should win it all every year. Why? Because we won the Orange Bowl in 1982. And we're the national football champs for the 81 and 82 football season. And we haven't been back except for the West Virginia debacle. We're going back this year. On what hope? With the hope of the 81-82 Orange Bowl. You should go to the website. You remember back in 81? Most of the kids at college don't remember 81. Some of their parents were married in 81. And we won't leave it. We stay and stand faithful in that accomplishment. And because it won't leave us, and it's marked us as a faithful and good team, a legitimate contender forever. There's a hymn called How Firm a Foundation, it says this. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with you, and be not dismayed, for I am your God and will give you aid. I'll strengthen and help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Like Nehemiah, we who are his are called to stay with the work and word and way of God's kingdom and gospel because God in Jesus Christ has already laid a foundation of faith. He has already, yes, over 2,000 years ago, but already defeated death sin, and the grave. And though he has not returned bodily the second time, the first time he went out a winner. He went out as the deliverer and savior of humankind. This is the substance of why we shouldn't have to run off to sinfulness. Because when you become his, you wear the face paint and dressing of those who are covered by and consumed over and rabid and wrapped up in the saving history of a God who has championed not only your heart, but this whole world. And the history of redemption in every page and story of this Bible declare that you have to stay. You can't stray. You must stay and stand and for some of us, return to where there is only one. One true, sure, and already faith. The Lord has already done so much to have you and keep you. He's already laid the foundations of a lasting and sure and eternal relationship. And that is why Nehemiah prays, Lord, strengthen my hands against the temptation to, to stop the work, to, to believe God has, has failed, to believe that this thing ain't working, but, but to hold on to what God has already done. What can you see and know in your own story? Think about what God has done for you. And if you can't, 
Find out from someone else who can feel and know and hold on to what God has already done and built. There's a scripture in the Bible that is dealing with some Christians that are having a hard time. And the verse says this, we overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And testimony means a story of what God did to save us. Now, yeah, this could only be about what God has done personally for you. But this is what Jesus did for a world and people trapped in sin to redeem them. This is the story of your faith if you are a believer. And you weren't there back then when it was written. This faith, your faith, was brought to you. The foundation, the wall that's almost complete here, it is passed on to you like a baton in a race from the people in this passage in Nehemiah up to right now. Now, through church history, this epic story up to you now becomes the witness of what God has already done. And you take the baton, which is more like a redemptive time capsule, and we stay in the race. And we ask God, strengthen our hands against fear and sin that would tempt us to drop the baton of what God has accomplished before us and for us. He has already done so much. But everybody here knows there's a wrinkle in staying. Because first look at the description of the wall in verse 1. And then look at what happens after Nehemiah resists being lured away. So in verse 1, it says this. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I built the wall, that there was no breach left in it. But then there's this parentheses. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors and the gates. Right? Then, then look what happens after the wall is finished. Look, all right, so the wall is finished. Yeah, y'all, everything's good. Everybody happy? No, look at verse 17. For many of Judah were bound by oath to him, that's Tobiah, because he was a son-in-law, somebody, 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 right? Verse 19, also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid after the thing is done. As much as it's already been accomplished, truth is, there's so much that is not yet finished. God calls us to stay. This is the hard thing about Christianity. God calls us to stay and stand and live in the not yet of his kingdom. Nehemiah, he was committing by staying to a work that could, would never, I, I, as I look at the scriptures and after what happens after Nehemiah and, and him finishing the wall, right? Nehemiah was committing to staying to a work that would never be complete if we include the attitude that should go along with the wall until time would be over. There is always a breach. There is always a crack Always a, a not yet. Always some people who have unconvinced hearts living among us. Always a struggle no matter how much already there is. You know what's frustrating about a relationship like, relationship like marriage? Among many things. There's been so much accomplished by God in some of your relationships, and it doesn't have to be marriage. It could be any kind of relationship, friendships, family relationships. I 
don't want to idolize marriage. Oh, y'all got all kind of relationships out here. And they all tough. There's been so much accomplished by God in your relationships and still, right? Some of the same old behavior patterns. After years, the same old stuff bubbling up that irritate the heck out of you. And yet, you know what God says? Stay in that to work away in what would be beautiful and good if that person right over there would just change that one thing. Last week, I shared the sheer frustration of being at a church like ours. Where after 10 years, just when it seems like we are getting ahead, we lose, you know, one of our founding pastors, pastors a couple years ago, or some members that have been with us a while feel called away, or the money gets tighter than ever after a record-giving year. Why, God? Weren't we done with that? Weren't you finished? Aren't we done with the struggle? Right? And I'm talking about the church, but I'm also talking about each one of your lives. You've done, you've finished something so big, and there's still another breach. There's still another gateway without a door. There's still some people in your life that are unconvinced, living in there with you. And, and you know, you have to say, Lord, why? And the kingdom is already and not yet. And the not yet is where believers are called. To stay and stand and live and trust God. And, and what's hard is the stuff you know the solution to, right? You know the number, the number it is of the, of the salary or the money you need to have to fix your financial problem. You know what it will just take to, to get that problem changed. You know, it, it is the one thing that hasn't happened for you that you've been praying to God for. It is the unfinished, not done with you and me in this world component that God has called us to use the gospel to journey through, to walk steady on the grind with a sure already God in a not yet world. And many of us, like Nehemiah was tempted to do by the false prophet, have run to faulty theology and religion or run into the desert or made relationships that we shouldn't and given up where we shouldn't and lost hope where we can't because it hasn't happened and may that happen in your lifetime yet. And yet we are called to be in a world and community of people who are not completely convinced and not content. God is sovereignly Put us in this life at the time in that way to leave your faith with some not yets so that you have to look to him for him and to trust him. But the good news for believers is not yet means that they can take hope, not only the foundation that God has laid, but like how a bridge or a canyon crossing happens, there is a firm and sure place for sure on the other side. Because what God has laid a foundation for and left a not yet in, he is faithful to complete. Look at verse 13 with me. So the wall was finished on the 25th, 25th day. Nope, I'm in the wrong spot. Okay, 13. Boy, 13 to 15 look the same when you get 40-something. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's a three. For this purpose, he was hired. This is the prophet. 
that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember to buy and assemble that, oh my, oh my God. And according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, uh, Nobadiah, and the rest of the, the prophets who wanted me to, to be afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in the 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This prayer to God for him to put his wrathful judgment on Tobias, Sanballat, and Obadiah is what we call, it, call imprecatory, right? And imprecation is a fancy word for curse, for doom. But this is an Imprecation happens, but this is how it happens in God's kingdom. When the wall is finished, all that opposed God's people knew that they were on the wrong side of the wall. Right? They thought they were on the right side of the wall when the wall was being completed because it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Right? Look at y'all in there with that wall. That thing ain't going to happen. Y'all starving. Y'all got money issues. The king, you know, Nehemiah, he ain't right. He ain't really for the people. You know, all this stuff happens, and they think they're on the right side until the wall was completed. And they're like, oh, Lord, we on the wrong side of the wall. Let me say it this way. When God got the glory in finishing the wall, the enemies, the Bible said, fell in their own esteem. What's that mean? They thought they were the stuff, and then they fell in their own stuff, right? That when, he, when, we, that when we embrace the good news of the gospel, that is, that is automatically bad news for sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? So when God does something that causes people to have faith and confidence in him, as the Bible says here, the enemies get afraid. When God's people's faith is answered by God, God visits the enemies with fear. Remember, we're called to give up our fear for faith. And when we, get, when we embrace God's faith, the enemies become afraid. Why do we stay in the already but not yet? Faithfully praying and seeking God and staying in relationships and trudging forward. Because he is faithful to finish the work he called us to and began in us. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he finished the work of the gospel. And like the doors shut up Israel behind the walls and shut out their enemies from directing and destroying God's work, Jesus shut. He closed up the lying and fear-laden mouths and philosophies of this world so that no lie, no weapon, no luring attempt, no demon, no devil, no history of problems, no suffering, no abuse, no hardship will prosper and be able to breach the faith relationship you have with God so that you can have faith. Here's another acronym. Full assurance in trusting him. But for the devil and all his demons and all the evil against us like the enemies in the story, fear. Failure expected and received. I don't know what, but who has you struggling and fainting in your faith. But the good news is this. 
The gospel teaches that for those who have and will accept Jesus as Lord, a covenant, a contract, a blood-signed agreement between God and sinners was closed, like closing on a house, and, and the enemies of your redemption could and will no longer have power to tear you away from God. I don't know how much you are struggling and suffering in the already and not yet. Maybe in the, you're in the middle age thing or the lonely thing or the young thing or the old and washed up thing. Your faith is secure inside the powerful grace of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the person of the living gospel, is a wall, a completed wall around you, holding you in and keeping your enemies away. You know, gospel music artist Fred Hammond has a song, old song, called Jesus Be a Fence, right? It says this, Sometimes the way gets so rough, y'all, the nights are so long. In my hour of weakness, that old enemy tries to steal my soul. But when he comes like a flood to surround me, my God will step in and a standard he'll raise. Oh, Lord, be a fence all around me every day, oh, Jesus. But know this, too, that the gospel says that when he, Jesus, bodily returns, The second time Jesus will not only come into the gate to be with us forever, he will lead us out of the gate and finally take over and destroy the evil in this world that pressures us and seeks to turn us away from him. The day is coming when there will be no outside or inside the gate because the whole world will be his. And this is a promise for those whose Jesus is like Nehemiah who Jesus was was steady on the grind, right? Coming to earth, resisting the temptation of the world, steady on the grind to to suffer for our sins, steady on the grind to die for our sins and and refuse the lies of the devil, steady on the ground, grind to curse sin and Satan and death for us, to save us on the cross in his body and in turn bless us with hope so that our faith and our lives in Jesus because of the gospel will be steady on the grind. Will we have a faith that resists the enemies of the gospel? Staying and standing behind a wall. God's grace. In the already and not yet. And trusting God to close the deal. Now and forever. Steady, believers. Steady on the ground.